everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror films directed by women uh, that prove that the female of a species is more deadly than the male. Um, <laughs> I know what's wrong with me today. I'm telling you, being shut up for you know weeks on end is making me a little cuckoo chew. Right. Just so you know. Just so everybody in the audience knows. Beware. Who knows what's going to come out of my mouth today? Nothing that I'm planning, I'm sure. Um, but plenty of things I'm not. So anyway, I'm your host, Rachel. And joining me is one of the most excellent people on the planet, the one and only Ariel. Hi, guys. How are you doing, Mama? I'm doing okay. How is life in, in quarantine in the Pacific Northwest? Um, You know, hanging in there. Yeah. Watching uh, a lot of TV, reading a lot of books, hanging with my cats. Nice. <laughs> nice. We both are watching the most important thing currently yes. happening on TV right now, which is... The Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, it's all <laughs> anybody Netflix. should be watching. The whole world should be watching this documentary. It is wild. If you watch the trailer, you'll be like, wow, that looks pretty crazy. It does not even begin no. to express how insane this documentary series is. Yeah, I'm on episode five of seven episodes. And every episode, there's like 10 more crazy things that you learn about the situation. Yeah, Like it is... It is, it, I, like, you can't, you can't really express how crazy it is. Like, you just have to experience it. Yes. Um, so it's so funny that, like, you, um, like, <laughs> you were like, hold on, before you start the podcast, I need to tell you, <laughs> ask you if you are watching this, because this is the most important thing happening in pop culture right now. And I was like, oh my god, am I ever. So for yeah. those of you out there, if you are not watching this, get on our level. It will blow your mind. Yeah. It's all I can think about. <laughs> right? It's a little distracting. Like, in the back yeah. of my head, we're talking about this movie today, and in the back of my head, I'm just going to be thinking about, like, tiger cubs and, <laughs> and like, weird tiger owner sex cults and <laughs> whether or not someone fed their pe- their husband to a tiger and... <laughs> oh, my God. And that just scratches the surface. <laughs> all right. So, um... Back to the point of the show, we are going to be reviewing uh, a little film called Knives and Skin, directed by Jennifer Reeder. But before we get into that, Ariel, can you please give our listeners our spoiler policy? So we're going to talk about the whole movie. We're going to spoil everything. Yep. Be warned. Yep. Yep. From this point on, nothing is off limits when it comes to Knives and Skin. Yeah. All right. Cool. So uh, this is a first watch for me. What about you? Yeah, so I had never even heard of this movie until you brought it up. Yeah. Um, which, weirdly, the day that you said you wanted to do this, I went on Hulu to watch something else, and it was recommended to me. I'm convinced that all of our technology is listening to us. I know. It really feels like that weird. I, I understand some of that is confirmation bias. Like, sure. You know, but I do feel like sometimes it's so mm-hmm. random that, like, there must be some. We got a new TV, and it's a smart TV, and it's not hooked up to the internet because I'm so paranoid. Right. Because, like, your TVs listen to you, right? Yep. Um, But I still, like, there's a part of me that's, like, I don't, I'm not fully convinced that it's not listening. Yeah. I'm still, I, I uh, like, my little spidey senses say nefarious things are afoot they want my data (laughs) yeah oh um before we get talking about the movie can i do a correction from last episode oh sure what's going on okay so i was looking i opened my notebook to make notes for this episode and realized that i had written something down wrong so then i went back to the episode for tigers are not afraid Uh and i think i made a mistake there too so um when we were talking when i was talking about Issa lopez the director of tigers are not afraid I think that I said the 
fan, the award that she won at Fantastic Fest was the British Horror Director Award, when what I meant to say was Best Horror Director Award. So oh. I just wanted to correct that. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. I'm sure it's fine. Nobody's writing their thesis off our podcast. <laughs> God, God if they are, if they I apologize in advance. <laughs> right. We do our best. Yeah. <laughs> but that's good. I mean, it's always good to offer a correction. That's just good, like, journalism, right? We, right. Both, I mean, we met on a working newspaper together, yeah. so we probably should try to have some journalistic ethics. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Let's see. Uh, I have some background information on the director and okay. the production that I will share with you that will be the origin of whatever corrections I'm going to be giving next episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this movie, Knives and Skin, is directed by Jennifer Reeder, who is a filmmaker I was not familiar with before. She's a filmmaker and screenwriter from originally from Ohio. Huh. So this is actually her first feature film. Prior to that, she had made several short films, which had screened at Sundance, International Film Festival in Rotterdam, and the Chicago Underground Film Festival, oh, wow. among many others. Her education is actually not, her education, like her background is actually not in filmmaking, but in visual arts. She has like an MFA in fine art. Oh, that and, makes so much sense. Right? Which movie. greatly influences her, the way yeah. she approaches film. Yeah. And you can see a lot of it in her aesthetic in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of stuff about cross dissolves create these almost like dual images, like a dual painting that all was inspired by like her art art background. That's really cool. Yeah. Along with filmmaking, she is currently a teacher at the art, uh, the School for Art and Art History at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Wow. And she is the founder of the Tracers Book Club, which is a which is a book club that is focused on feminist issues and social justice. What? That's so cool. Right? I mean, she is someone who is very outspoken in the fact that she is a feminist and all of her stories that she likes to tell, with the exception of one of her short films, is all about complex women figuring some shit out or not about themselves. That's great. Yeah. So she she's really proud of being a feminist mm-hmm. and she uses her films to explore those themes. And there's a lot of that in this movie, yes. which we'll get into. The next film that she's currently working on is called A Girl and Other Small Stains, which is a coming a, a coming of age tale about a feminist shapeshifter. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> right? I want to see that. So she definitely has like an oeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. That's great. Okay. So as I said, this is her first feature film. Uh, when she initially tried to find investors, she could not. Be, and she was turned down by even people she had worked with in her short films because they didn't think that a film this odd could find mm-hmm. an audience. And this movie is very odd. It sure They is. are not wrong about that. Um, <laughs> but eventually she did receive the funding she needed from a 2015 Creative Capital Award. And the movie went on to premiere at the Berlinale, Berlinale? Festival. And she told the story about how some of the investors, after they saw the movie, came back to her and apologized because they were like, actually, no, you didn't, were able to make this film and it was really good. And and she was very proud of that fact. Yeah, that's got to be so validating. <laughs> as, as you would be, right? <laughs> so the idea for this movie came to her while she was driving from her home outside of Chicago to her mother's in Indiana. And along the way, there's like a lot of rural back roads that she took. And she was just kind of imagining these kind of 
punk goth girls walking along the rural roads and started imagining what their life would be like. And the story just sort of hit her and came like spilling out of her at that point. She knew she wanted to tell a story about these, these sort of punk girls living in the Midwest, but also that took the problematic trope of the dead girl, Mm -hmm. which is like something this gets a lot of comparisons to like to twin peaks, but there are lots and lots of movies which center around like a beautiful dead girl at the beginning of the movie and the like whodunit of that and like the romantic like they romanticized a beautiful young dead girl. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to take that trope and like give it a feminist retelling. That's why like throughout the movie you'll see even though Carolyn is dead, she's like still moving around. She even gets a song is because she's trying to give her agency even as she's like a quote unquote object. Yeah. Yeah. So she also wanted to tell a coming of age story that shows that coming of age is not something that just happens in your teens, but something that happens throughout your life, which is why when we get into the story, like the parents are just as, if not more <laughs> messy than the teens right. themselves. Right. And and finally she wanted to make a story that is just like oozing with femme energy. So like in terms of the use of the color color mm-hmm. scheme and just, you know, I mean every aspect of this is very not female, but femme. And, um, and yeah, and the result of all of those things coming together was this movie, Knives and Skin. Oh, that's fascinating. It, it yeah. makes so much more sense now, too. I mean, the, she is doing a lot with this movie. Yeah, I mean, there's so <laughs> much lot. going on in it. It's, it's Yeah, it can be about. a little overwhelming mm-hmm. in points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, I kind of love, as I research the movie more, like, I love all of the stuff behind it. Mm-hmm. To me, really enhanced the movie well, you have the synopsis for this movie would you mind telling us the synopsis for this movie yeah so first off i just want to say that this movie is really hard to synopsize yeah i don't <laughs> it kind do of defies summary a little bit so i'm i'm just very i'm scratching the surface with this is what i'll say yeah um okay so carolyn a teenage girl and marching band member goes out to a deserted area to fool around with a football player who gets angry when she says no he pushes her, she falls down and hits her head, and then he leaves her there alone, and she's never heard from again. The rest of the film deals with the ripple effects of her disappearance on her mother, her classmates, and the parents in a small town. As they look for Carolyn, we learn more and more about the idiosyncratic characters, the dysfunction of the parents, and the creepiness of the men at the school. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I already think a three-bean salad is gross. Right now it's got a whole another level. think about it the same way again (laughs) well i think for how complex this movie's plotting is you did like a really good job of summing it up okay thank you (laughs) you get an a plus 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 for that because yeah like if you tried to get into story beats oh no no no, no. i tried and it just it sounded so convoluted and weird that i was like this isn't gonna help anybody so right and i think that's generally the gist yeah so okay just sort of Top level. What did you think of this movie? I thought this movie was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's a movie that makes you think a lot and makes you feel a lot. I don't think it's necessarily like you're not going to go into this movie and just have like a blast watching it. Yeah. Um, because it is so kind of complicated and surrealistic. But I actually ended up liking it in the end, like mm. quite a lot. Um, last year, another movie that came out was Braid. Um, yes, I don't know if you oh, interesting that one, but it, it made me think of it not because their plot is at all similar, but just that 
that that's really surrealistic and kind of weird, but you end up falling in love with it anyways. Whereas there was another movie that came out last year called Luz. I think that's how you say it. It's like L-U-Z. Uh-huh. It was a foreign language film. And that movie also is surrealistic and weird. <laughs> but for that one, I ended up getting frustrated because I thought uh-huh. it was just like so confusing and I never really knew what was going on. And even though some scenes were cool, like it didn't really make sense. I didn't get that frustration with this film. Like I ended mm-hmm. up, being really interested in what was happening in the, all the different beats of the movie. Yeah, definitely. You know what this made me think of, um, and partly because I'm editing that episode right now, mm-hmm. is, um, do you remember Make Out with Violence? Yeah. And that was all about remember. like a boy's coming of mm-hmm. age that occurs around, the death of the girl is all about how it affects the boys right. that are coming of age. And this one kind of flips that on its head. Yeah, that's true. But it also has kind of like a slow, dreamlike quality to it, although it's not as artful as this by any stretch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was not as pretty a movie, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely think this is not for everyone. I would say that right off the bat. Like, this is a very challenging movie to watch because it asks you to have a lot of patience and to be very comfortable with some very distinct stylistic choices. Reader talked about how all the performances are extremely deadpan. Mm-hmm. and so she intentionally had she kept reminding the actors to to do this deadpan delivery because she wanted all the melodrama to come from the story itself mm-hmm. and she has this theory that most of the things people say that are really shocking they say in deadpan ways because like, a lot of times it's hard for them to even like get it out of their mouths and so some of the harshest things people say are said without emotion they're not said with a scream or with tears they're said just like very straightforward and so there was a realism to that that she wanted to convey with the performances but what it creates is a pretty distinct bizarre style that right. either is going to work for you or it's not you know like this movie the pace is very slow very dreamlike it lingers over things there's a lot of songs and i think that those <laughs> things can be challenging for a, a viewer um, if you're not if you're not into it so it's going to be um it's going to be for a particular audience and not for other people um, yeah, I, I do think you'll it's know one of those. in the first scene if you remember <laughs> that audience or not. Yeah, but I do think both visually and the way that it is very distinctive in its style is uncompromising, and that that in and of itself is admirable, whether it works for you or not. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it definitely is one of those things where you're either probably going to love it or hate it because it is. It's an odd movie. Oh yes, <laughs> oh, and the characters yes. are really strange. You know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there are some things that I, I don't, I'm not sure that I understood the significance of, which we can get into more. Like um, some of the glowing stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I never quite <clears throat> wrapped my head around like why certain things would glow and what it meant. Yeah. I, I couldn't quite follow the thread there of, you know, like in the very first scene, she cuts the guy's head with a C and yeah. it glows. Her glasses glow. The blood glows. But I didn't, yeah, I couldn't quite put my finger on Was it just sort of like evidence that she existed or something? Like clues? Yeah. I also thought I liked the idea of the the carving on his head, even though he did not react Mm -hmm. quite to the degree that you would have expected, became like a scarlet letter. Yeah. Yeah, like as the movie went on, the blood stain got bigger and bigger and started forming a C Mm -hmm. even under the bandage. Yeah, that was really cool. And I think Mm -hmm. you're right about what was glowing. Because if I'm thinking about it, it's like, yeah, it's her glasses, it's the blood, it's that cut. I think you're right that that's all stuff that is evidence of her existence. 
I also don't know that I completely understood the movement of her body, too. I think that it makes so much sense now that you said that she wanted to give Carolyn and, and the dead girl, like, agency, that she keeps mm-hmm. having, you know, kind of like a story, even when everybody else is kind of grieving or dealing with their own bullshit. She, she literally gives her a voice. Yeah, I mean, she has her own song in the, yeah. the movie, which I, I thought that part was really cool. But yeah, some of the things like disappearing, I just, it's like glowing and then disappearing things. Mm-hmm. I think that it makes more sense now that you say evidence of her. Because at first I was just kind of like, what what exactly am I supposed to get from that? Yeah. Um, and I mean, some of this is just surrealism, I think. Yeah. Like, what do you think about the clown loving? <laughs> <laughs> that was so weird. That, like, that was, like, yeah, them... I was like, what, when it first debuted i was like what is happening yeah like why is this guy with sad like clown makeup going down on this pregnant lady what is happening yeah yeah that was no there was never any explanation so i just i think you're just meant to assume it's their kink i think so yeah because you see him without that makeup a lot too it's not like he's only in that for the rest of the movie or something yeah um so yeah i think that must have just been their thing. <laughs> um, I also think it was interesting the way that kind of the revelations about that that relationship happened throughout the course of the movie. You're kind uh-huh. of just dropped into this world and you have to kind of sort it out. And at first you're like, you know, you don't know what all the relationships are. Right. Um, so you're not even sure if they're having an affair. And then you kind of figure out that they're having an affair. But she's pregnant is she pregnant with the husband's baby or his baby does the husband know about the affair and that's why he and the kids are so angry about her pregnancy but then you find out fake baby <laughs> right no was it always a fake baby or has she lost the baby had well, there's a the scene where she's in the it. kitchen and you see yeah. the blood running down her legs and so i didn't know if she was just maintaining it or if that was some kind of flashback i couldn't tell either um i mean now that you say that like the flashback thing make some sense of why there's so much aggression in that first scene where they're all sitting at breakfast and why the husband is being so weird and distant from her. Yeah. That could be it. And like when he's like walking along talking about the baby and like throwing the garbage around. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is meant for you to just sort of piece it together. Um, Yeah, I think so. I think the clues are there. Some of them maybe subsequent watches would reveal it, but yeah, that one was, I was unclear about. Yeah. Um, But it's interesting because the dad is, I think, one of the most complex characters because you get to see him both in that role and then like these sweet moments with his daughter where he's like giving her the tape, the mixtapes. And um, even though like, obviously, it's not great that he's cheating on his mentally ill wife, but like at the same time, some of the most tender moments in the movie were between him and his daughter. Yeah, that was a a really sweet moment. And then she used the mixtapes to kind of help her mom like realize that maybe she needs to forgive the dad in the end. I thought that yeah. was nice. After figuring out that the dad had like given it to his his mistress, yeah. which was Aki. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, also this movie is very vaggy. I was gonna in a bring way that, that I was uh not, not prepared necessarily for. prepared for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean not that I'm offended by it or anything, no. but I was just kinda like, whoa. But whoa, the first whoa, time whoa, it happened, whoa. I was like, I remember folding notes like that in high school. I don't remember keeping them in that location. <laughs> right. <laughs> also, like when th- she first has the like the flirtation with the girl, 
Um, and she's just like, you know, I'm having trouble with this story problem. It has XX. And I was like, oh, that's subtle, you know, like mm-hmm. cute, like XX chromosomes. And then she like shows her the drawing of a vagina. I was like, less subtle, <laughs> less subtle. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I do kind of like, I kind of like how aggressively like this movie talked about like female bodily fluids between this and like the menstruation talk. I was like, all right, then I guess we're going there. And yeah, and as much totally as it's going for it, like it is, even though it is a little not shocking, but like confronting, um, ultimately I was kind of like, deal with it then. <laughs> you know, right. like that's kind of, that's kind of punk rock to just be so unapologetic about it. Yeah, exactly. And I actually thought it was kind of cool. I mean, they pass these like strange things back at the end and then she makes like almost like a shrine to her in her locker. Right. Um, which was kind of cool, especially when, like, the stupid football guy comes up to, like, confront her. And she just has right. this shrine to her girlfriend with all of these, like, mementos that came out of her girlfriend's vagina. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of great. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's, like, in this post-goop world, we all know that you should not put things like that in your vagina. Yeah, please. But <laughs> from a visual perspective in the movie, yeah. it was definitely compelling. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But ladies at home, if you're feeling amorous about ladies, don't think just put random things in your vagina and give them as gifts. Yeah, no no shoving tchotchkes up there. Okay. Can I talk about my favorite thing that happens in this movie? Okay, I'm wondering if it's one of my favorite things too. Go is for it. Is it the conversation with the tiger shirt? Oh no, but that is great. I was like, what is happening? But it was so bizarre. I just was like, yes, I'm in for this conversation. <laughs> like, it gives you insight into this character that has been so closed off throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this, it's extremely vulnerable, but also just, like, visually, like, the movie is kind of, like, kind of just sort of winding its way along, and then all of a sudden she's talking to her, like, animated tiger, or yeah. lion shirt, and I was like, yes! I'm into this! More of this! Yeah, it was so, it was so interesting. Like, she's trying to see if it glows, and then, yeah, she's having this conversation, and it keeps getting brought up, you know, and, like, her daughter later asks her, like, why do you wear it if the tag's itchy? And she's like, it's the best shirt I have. It was Mm -hmm. very cool. Yeah. All right, what was your favorite thing that you thought I was going to say? So one of my favorite things that happens is, well, first of all, I just, I really like the way that this movie deals with, like, slut-shaming, um, yes. I think that it oh, does a yes. good job of like kind of repeatedly hitting that point home throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts, though, is when the cheerleader girl, I can't, I'm sorry, I, I cannot remember any of the characters' names That's right fine. now. Neither do I. But um, the cheerleader girl is getting alterations done on her homecoming dress. And the artsy girl um, is talking to her and they're like kind of saying, like, what have you done with the boy? You know, like, have you touched it under the shirt, under the pants, you know? Mm-hmm. And... And then she says to her, like, that you're a slut, and she says no, and then she says, if you're not a cunty slut, and you're not a bitchy tease, then what are you? And the girl Mm -hmm. says, I'm neither, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. I just thought that was such a good line, you know? Yes. That, like, you feel like you have to be, you're either one of those two things, right? Or you just don't exist. Right. And it's interesting that she's having this conversation with these girls are having this conversation, but there's like a payoff for this at the end when she's confronted by her boyfriend who, the one who was like with Carolyn when, before she died. And like, he's basically having a similar version of this conversation, basically slut shaming her being cruel to her. That she kind of, it sounded like, you know, I'm nothing sounded like the beginnings of an idea and the beginnings of 
recognizing that she doesn't have to be either of those two things. Right. And like, this is where she, the conclusion that she's come to. And she feels like very empowered as opposed to still trying to figure things out. And she has that conversation where she's just like, you treat women like shit. You treat women like, like she, she identifies the problem and externalizes it. Yeah, of it's great. And then it. when she finally gives him back his varsity jacket, she's <laughs> so in like great. glittery letters on the back. It says, I treat women like shit. I was like, yeah. yes, that's amazing. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, though, that that there's like one detail with that character where like, I mean, he spends the entire movie trying to get everybody to touch his dick. I'm right. sorry. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but there's a uh, when they're having the choir conversation where they're like all whispering back and forth, mm-hmm. there's his sister who, who's like selling the underwear tells her friend that he's been in his room crying all night. Yeah. And it gives the character the one bit of character development he gets. And it's easy to just see him as a villain. And I think in some ways he definitely is. He left Carolyn to die. That's not a great move. Yeah. He does treat women like shit. That really sucks. It doesn't speak well for his character. But Jennifer Reader, in one of the interviews I read with her, because I ended up reading a whole bunch of interviews mm-hmm. with her. She's so interesting. I actually really recommend, even whether you like the movies or not, like she's so well-spoken and has like such like a unflinching feminist vibe. That's she's great. fucking cool. Um, but she talks about how the character's name is Ty and how he basically represents the, the trap of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and how he's acting it out, but also trapped by it. Sure. Um, and I was just like, oh, that's a pretty like interesting nuanced way to take that character because I think there's a temptation to just like straight up villainize him. But it's the whole point of feminism and having equality and like getting away from toxic masculinity is to like allow dudes to not have to be that way, to not right. have to cry alone in their room, but to have like emotions and not have to always be acting like macho hormonal dicks. Like yeah. that's a trap. That's that is a trap, you know, as well as it being not great for women. It's not great for guys. Right, right. And no, I, and I'm glad you said that. And because in that scene, even when she's talking to when he's like confronting her in front of her locker and she's saying, like, you treat women like shit, you know, he's aghast that she would say no to him because he's a football player and he's this and that. And he like lists off, you know, the things that he is and he's got these dudes from his football team, you know, kind of behind him, cheering him on for this and expecting things of him. I think it shows that really clearly that it's not um, just like this innate thing that he was born with. It's that he's got all this pressure too, you know, like, yeah, he's acting like an asshole and a shitty, terrible person, but um, there are these external forces that are making him feel pinned in to that. Right. And all of our characters start off kind of isolated Mm -hmm. and unlike, Unlike the rest of the girls that can find solidarity with each other, he never gets solidarity. Like, yeah, he has the guys, like, rooting him on to be a piece of shit. But, like, in terms of his emotional turmoil, which we see, like, at the end when he goes to get the glasses and stuff, Mm -hmm. like, he clearly is in emotional turmoil. But he has absolutely no outlet for that. Yeah, The closest thing he has to that is making out with the girl's mom, which was a choice. (laughs) Yeah, we should should talk about the mom character, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know entirely how I feel about it. And I don't know if the, what, what exactly she was trying to say. I mean, I think the good parts of the mom's storyline is showing just how horrific loss can be Mm -hmm. and how sort of lost and angry and sad it can make you. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were some choices in there that are so strange, you know, like, 
I think, I think her sniffing around his car and sniffing him. Um, I mean, I think we all have that thing where it's like, you know, the smell of people that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, like my grandmother has a, a hope chest that I have of hers that, you know, she was given when she got married and you open it up and it just smells like my grandmother, you know, oh, the whole I like thing. That. That's nice. Yeah. But, and it makes me, you know, think of her, like even after all these years, I still know what she smelled like. And so I, I get where she was going with that, but there's some other, and even, uh, destroying the girl's room, you know, she's just so racked with grief and so angry. Um, I can understand that part of it. I think the less understandable parts for me were the making out with the boy, mm-hmm. um, the masturbating in her bedroom. Yeah. I did. <laughs> That's a thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of it is very over the top. I think kind of what the film is trying to get at is how messy morning is. Yes, definitely. And how we have an idea of what the acceptable behaviors are. And the acceptable behaviors are her being kind of a mess when they're looking for the, the kid or mm-hmm. crying in class. But, like, sometimes morning makes people do really fucked up stuff i don't know if it's these things specifically and this might be over the top i don't know but i do think it's one of those things where we're like pushing back on like a like the role of a morning mother like what she's supposed to be like and and subverting those ideas is interesting i mean it's it's uncomfortable to watch and very odd but i don't think it's purposeless no, I don't think. Did I like it? Either. I don't know. But, I, can, <laughs> yeah. but I, don't, I think that's separate from it being right. Like, and, I, and I think that the actress did a pretty it, phenomenal yeah. job, too. I it's, think she's the standout in the movie. Yeah, because, I mean, I can imagine how difficult it would be to portray that kind of grief. And, and she does just a really believable job. Like, even if some of these things are kind of over the top or weird... Um, they felt like honest, you know. Yeah, and I think that's in large part due to how great she did at at feeling like she really had just lost her daughter. Yeah, that scene in the in the morgue. Um, that oh made me yeah, cry. <laughs> yeah. When she keeps trying to reach, yeah, for him, and he like... has to pull her back because she can't yeah. touch her. That just destroyed me. I was like, that felt so real and so mm-hmm. sad. That man, yeah. it's a good scene. I have one other question. Okay. Do you think this movie is horror? Not necessarily. I think that it's easy to maybe to say it is because of like the dead girl trope is, you know, we've seen that a lot in, in horror, but I, I think overall I would call it more like a surrealistic drama than anything Mm -hmm. else. I don't even think that it's necessarily neo-noir either. No, I don't think it really falls into that category. I don't think it hits the same beats or has the same camera and lighting angles and stuff that tend to, you know, define that genre. Yeah, I don't think it's horror. What do you think? I I tend to agree. I've heard it called like horror adjacent and I would actually mm-hmm. say it's thriller adjacent as opposed to yeah. horror adjacent. That's a good way to put it. I think it's a really interesting like arty movie, but that has some, like a whisper of horror and like references <laughs> yeah. to things that are horror-like, but I would not call this movie a horror movie. I think it's definitely a genre movie. I just don't think that that genre happens to be horror. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you're going into it with those sort of expectations, you're not going to be happy with what you get. Yeah. So I think it's important to kind of express that, like, this is more of, like, a 
an odd drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. It's no. just like I just want I'm just categorizing it to like temper people's expectations when they see it if they haven't already seen it. Right. One of the little just like quotes that I liked, this is sort of silly, but towards the end of the movie, um, the two girls that had made the cunty slut like comment earlier, mm-hmm. they get back together and are talking and kind of confess to each other that they actually hadn't done any of those things with boys that they said they had. Mm-hmm. And the artsy girl says, like, yeah, I've never even seen one. And the cheerleader girl said, like, I saw one once by accident. And the arty girl asks her, what did it look like? And she says, E.T. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite lines. It's so funny. Yeah, it's great. I also love those companion conversations because they, like, yeah. show how the lies and the, like, falling into being in, like, a role or being performative sexually, yep. like, separates them. And then the honesty actually creates solidarity between them. Yeah, brings them closer together. And she gives her her dress because she's not going to go to homecoming anymore. And no, it's she's going to make out sweet. with her girlfriend. Yeah. That's I love cute. that, too, where they're just, like, making out on the football field. It's I great. <laughs> so, so cute. sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, one last thing. Yeah. I want to say I love like all the like punk rock girls style. Oh, so yeah, I can't believe we haven't talked about that yet. Much. <laughs> Especially the girl her um hijab that has like all the the what are they called? Safety pins all over it was really really cool. Oh, and cool. her makeup too was great yes. throughout. Yeah. She yes. was great. And then the fashion arty girl, there's like one scene where she has her hair with red in it and it's like up in peaks, so it looks like this giant Yeah, it's crown. like wrapped around a crown form. Oh, that was yeah, really cool. cool. And her makeup was so sort of interesting and different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that was great. I will say like the aesthetics of this movie. Oh, from the very opening shot yeah. when you see when she's going into Caroline's room and her um, doorknob has all those like pearls and mm-hmm. stuff glued onto it. I was like, okay, this is going to be very like girly and stylish, and like it it was. And I don't know. I I love I love that. I mean, I, I know that like we're getting to a point where like the neon blue and pink lights, can, you know, is getting a little cliche, but. I still like it. I know. <laughs> I can't help I know. it. I love it. And, and I know I, it's like... <laughs> sorry. Um, I also think that with the fashion choices, too, that she did a good job of showing, like, a bunch of different kinds of girls, too. Yeah. Right? That, like, being femme or whatever doesn't have to, like, look like one thing. There are all these different ways that it looks in all of these different girls, which I thought was great. I love the girl that had all the shirts with, like, feminist yes. stuff. Like, she had it had lettering on yeah. it, so it said, like, you know... <laughs> Angela yeah. Davis or Bryn Moir. Yeah. Yes. That was um, really, really cool. Yeah, the styling cool of this character. is mm-hmm. really cool and fun. And like, you know, it's like all the stuff I would have wanted to wear, but didn't necessarily have the guts to wear in high school. Yep. And I, I loved, I loved all the artistic expression in that. And that they were these girls, those three girls were like the root idea for the movie was imagining what these girls' lives would be like. Yeah. And I also think focusing more on like what's happening in their interpersonal relationships, what's happening between them and what's happening in, in their home lives um, is so much more interesting than, than having it focus on maybe them getting bullied because they're different at school. Like there was none of that in it. It was just all about like their story, um, which I thought was, was great too. Cause that's yeah. so much of what like high school stuff falls into usually is like, I'm the outsider and I'm, I'm the bully, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I also really liked how diverse it was. Mm-hmm. You know what I cast. mean? It was, it was a good, it was well cast mm-hmm. in terms of like seeing lots of different 
like representation of like lots of different girls yep you know girls don't always girls in general very rarely get represented and, and get like a lot of speaking roles yeah but to get to see like a real cross-section of different kinds of girls was really fun yeah and interesting yeah definitely all right anything else before we wrap it up um just one more thing this is oh. totally stupid but no <laughs> the scene where the mom the one who had the pregnancy fake pregnancy thing going on where uh-huh. she goes to pick up her daughter and she's drunk and has obviously <laughs> been huffing paint because it's like all over her face. Oh, she's huffing paint. I thought it was still, I thought it was grease paint from the clown. Oh shit, is but that you're what right, it was? You're no, I think you're probably, it was huffing paint, probably. Oh my God. It just made me think of this one time I watched this episodes of Cops when I was younger and there was this <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what you're talking There's about. This man. guy who like was huffing paint, and the cops come up to him, and he just keeps talking about how silver was the best flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and he has this like silver paint, like spray paint, all over the bottom half of his face. Oh my god, shiny and chrome! <laughs> Witness me. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. All right. All right. Anything else? No, I think that's it. So we don't have any feedback, but if people are interested in writing to us, if you have some thoughts about this movie, some ideas of things you'd like us to review, whatever the case may be, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email us at Rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can hit us up on our Facebook, the Zombie Girls Facebook page. And if you enjoy the show, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Make us feel all good and uh, warm and fuzzy and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if tonight you're looking, you're at home, we're all stuck at home. Self, we're all being responsible, um, you know, quarantining and whatnot. <laughs> but it means that, uh, that probably you're bored. You need something to watch. Something to put on the old TV. In that case, I would recommend that you head over to the Zombie Girls website and check out our VOD calendar. We have a list of all the new horror and sort of horror adjacent things um, that are streaming on video on demand that are coming up soon on video demand so that you can start planning out your weekend. Like, for instance, Vivarium, which looks really weird and cool, is coming out this Friday. So that probably also is going to make my this weekend watch list. Uh, So check out our VOD page and you can click right through to where you can watch them if they're out now or they go to the IMD page if they haven't. So you can learn about them and get excited. So I guess that just leaves us with what our plans are for the next episode for those who are playing along at home. And now this is a you pick. Do you have you decided what we're watching? We are watching a weird little film from 1995 called Blood and Donuts. Ooh, Blood and Donuts. I've definitely heard of this movie. Yeah. Uh, like when I'm because, you know, I just collect useless facts <laughs> and like. Uh, I went through a phase where I was just like, I need to know every movie that was ever directed by a woman. So I know the names of all these movies, but I haven't necessarily seen them. Right. So this has been on my like low grade radar for a while. Yeah. You know, it's weird because um, I had this friend in high school and like after high school who worked in a little indie movie rental place back when those existed. (laughs) And um, he was always like giving me horror movies to watch. And this was one he always wanted me to watch and I never got around to it. So it made me think like, we should finally do that now that we're doing this podcast. It's a great excuse. Oh, it's on Prime. Oh, sweet. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So for those of you playing at home, this looks like it is on Prime. So you can watch it from there. The vampire movie of some variety, but I don't, I don't actually know like much about this movie at all. 
So this will yeah. be fun. It's a it's definitely a blind watch. I've seen like the picture of the vampire, where <laughs> like the like sort of like Buffy makeup, yeah. you know? Yeah. But that that is the extent of what I know. And somehow they're like Kornberg is in it or something. Yeah, I'm really know. curious to see what it's like. Hopefully, yeah, it'll give us something. Okay, about. I'm excited. I'm okay, actually really good. looking forward to this. This will be fun. All right, so the, for those of you at home who are playing along, blood and donuts for our next episode. Um, and for today, Ariel, you want to take us out? Yeah, so thank you so much for listening to the More Deadly podcast. And like we just said, watch Blood and Donuts for next week. And if you happen to watch uh, Knives and Skin, uh, drop us a line because we would love to hear what other people thought of this strange little movie. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's it for us. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody.